0: And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord.
1: You may be seated. Well, good morning. As you can tell, we are in the book of Ephesians this morning, chapter 1, as we just read. And we're gonna be looking at a question, considering a question this morning, uh, one that I've had uh, personally been considering, I've been asking my wife, my girls, the question of where are you finding your hope? That's the question for this morning. Where are you finding your hope? If we looked in the rearview mirror of the week, we'd see Russia invading Ukraine, war starting, controversies over politicians and choices of how the government should respond both in our country and in the world at large. Foreign affairs, gas prices rising, where are you finding your hope? That's the question this morning. In this room, as we look in the rear view of our personal lives this week, there's conflict, there's frustration, it might be with your spouse, it might be parenting issues, it might be employer, employees, friends, family pressures. Where are you finding your hope? Where are you finding your hope? This week for me has felt probably the most, the most pre-pandemic-like that I've experienced. I actually, I had a thought this week of going, man, this feels really different but we're faced with sluggishness awkwardness of how we come back into pre-pandemic living there's 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 lack of motivation with some of us whether it be with work or relationships expectations that maybe aren't being met by us or for us where are you finding your hope That's the question for this morning. And I believe Paul answers this question as he writes this letter to the early Christians in Ephesus, which is modern day Turkey, this letter is going to circulate among many churches. And I think Paul answers this question, where do we find this hope as we look at this first chapter of Ephesians? So look with me to chapter one, verse 15. Paul starts and he says, for this reason... Okay, for what reason? For this reason, before we keep going, Paul in the first 14 verses of this letter has laid out some truths where he has shown how God's loving grace has impacted the lives of these early believers, these early Gentile believers in Ephesus. He says, for this reason, he has has explained to them in verse 7 the forgiveness of their sin. That has come through the blood of Christ. For this reason, he shared with them in verses 11 through 14, this inheritance that's been given to them. This wonderful inheritance that has been given to these new believers and to you and I, which we'll talk about more today. That has been sealed by the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing you eternal life. So he says, for this reason, I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and the love for all of God's people. This culture that's beginning and sprouting in Ephesus of people spending time with Jesus, trusting in Jesus. And because of that, their lives are looking incredibly different. They're loving people. They're not trying to jockey for position, but they're they're loving people and growing in the grace and the love of Christ. They're spending time with Jesus, and that's changing them. As we spend time with Jesus, we're transformed. That's the goal, friends. That's the goal of this life while we're here on this earth, is that we would become more Christ-like. And that comes by spending time with Jesus my wife and I, Katie, have uh, decided the last couple months that we would be eating inside of our house. We had uh, the ridiculousness of spending money over and over and over, you know, when you look at your your bills at the end of the month. And we said, we're going to eat inside of our house. And so last week I came in and I gave Katie a hug and she stepped back and she goes, what do you smell like? (laughs) I smelled like where I'd been. I smelled like a Chipotle steak burrito bowl. That's what I smelled like. I had been at Chipotle spending time, investing hours of relational time with this Chipotle steak bowl. And because of that time, I smelled like where I had been. I smelled like a Chipotle steak burrito. Friends, the same is true with Christ. As we spend time with our Lord and we bring our brokenness to him and he heals us and he transforms us transforms our hearts we begin to grow in Christ likeness we begin to smell and taste and sound and look like Jesus Paul is is acknowledging this this is what's happening right here in Ephesus as he's gotten reports So he says in verse 16, look with me. I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Look what Paul prays for them. Look what Paul is praying for this church as he's reminding them that I haven't stopped giving thanks for you. First, he says that God would give them The spirit of wisdom and revelation. For what reason? That we would know God more. That we would know the most amazing of all beings in deeper, in in wider, in better ways. That's what Paul's saying. I'm praying that you would have the spirit of revelation and wisdom so that you would know Jesus more. Because if you know Jesus more, you will understand truth. You will understand love. You will understand what your purpose in life is. You will understand who God is and who you are as a created son or daughter in Christ. I want you to experience this. And so I'm praying for you that you would know in wisdom and revelation, God, in deeper ways. You can know someone or know about someone, I should say, without really knowing them. Example, I can tell you that I know about Tiger Woods. But I don't know Tiger Woods. I can tell you about Tiger Woods. I can tell you what he's won, what he's lost. I can tell you some of his personal life. I can tell you his kids' names or his I, I can go through and give you a lot of information. I know about Tiger Woods. But I couldn't pick up my phone here and call Tiger Woods because I don't know him. I don't know him like that. I, I don't have a relationship. It invested time in relationship with Tiger Woods. Friends, we can know about God. You can come to church. You can go to a Bible study. You can be a part of, a, of an outreach group here or a men's or women's group. You can know about God. But what Paul is focused on here is that you would know God. That you would know him in relationship. That you would know him in truth. Because if you did, you would know the creator of all things. Your life would be changed. You would experience the love of God and you would experience what true love means to love your neighbor. How's God revealed to us this truth of who he is? In our book, in scripture. In this book of stories that tells one story. In this book of stories that tells one story that culminates with the God of all creation putting on skin and coming down to rescue you and me. That's how we come to know him. It's through faith in what Jesus has done for us and then in us. So look at the second thing that he prays. For them, for these early Ephesian believers. He says that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. It's an interesting way to put that. That the eyes of your heart, think about that with me for a moment. That the innermost core of who you are would have the ability to understand and recognize the truth of Jesus and what he's calling you to that the eyes of your heart would be able to be enlightened to understand the hope to which he's called you. Think about that for your life. This isn't a letter only written to Gentile believers in modern day Turkey, 2000 some years ago. This is a letter written for you, for God's people today, that God has called you with purpose To a hope. And that hope he unfolds here in the text, that hope is twofold. The first is that you would understand the glorious inheritance that you have received by the work of Christ for you. This glorious inheritance, this means for you and I that we are greater than citizens of this country, we are citizens of an eternal kingdom that will never end. And has conquered all. And will go on for eternity in the presence, full measure of God's presence. That's what you as a Christian have been called into. You've been called for this purpose to receive this hope. This hope of an eternal inheritance. As Christ followers, we look ahead, right? Right? we are able to look ahead and we're able to go, our hope is what is to come. And by hope, we mean assurance. Uh, when I was thinking through the word hope, in our modern day, as we talk about hope today, we tend to talk about hope in a sense that it's, it may happen. Or if you're in the South, it, it might could happen, right? It may happen. Is, what, is the way we think about the word hope. But in the Bible, in this text, this hope is not a may. This hope is a will. Hear that. This hope is that you will receive this inheritance in Christ. Not a may, not a might, but a will. It's assurance. It's a sure thing that you will receive this glorious inheritance of the kingdom of God. In the world around us, those of us that are either sitting in this room that don't know Jesus or those that can remember a time that we did not trust Christ as our Savior, we live in fear. Those outside of the gospel who are not believing the gospel live in fear and anxiety and in angst of what's to come. And that's simply not true for Christians. Those outside of Christ are fearful because it's unknown. They don't know what's going to happen when this world ends, let alone tomorrow, or what's going to happen at lunch. But for for those that are in Christ, there is a peace because we know what is to come. It's a sure thing. Our inheritance in the kingdom of God we can find peace in that as Christians. First John tells us that perfect love drives out fear. What's that perfect love? It's the work of God through the person of Jesus Christ. The reason why we will no longer be fearful when this world ends and when we come face to face with God in judgment is because we have already been judged in the person of Jesus Christ. That perfect love... Drives out the fear of judgment because that perfect love has set you and I free into Christ's righteousness. Take that in, Christian. That's for you. That is what you live in right now to find peace in. Kevin DeYoung, some of you uh, maybe have read some of his books. He's a pastor in Charlotte. He says this, our inheritance was guaranteed before any of us had life. The elect were predestined for this privilege before the foundation of the world. And hear this, before we had done anything good or bad, our inheritance was guaranteed before we had life. You may ask, how can I have this inheritance? I want this inheritance. Please tell me how I can have this inheritance. Friends, there's not a 12-step program. There's not a treasure hunt that you find the gold at the end of it. It is through faith in the Lord Jesus for your salvation. It is trusting Jesus that he has lived the life that you and I could not live and has died the death that you and I deserve to die. Transferring our trust to Jesus. That is the inheritance that you receive. That is how you receive that inheritance. Again, Kevin DeYoung writes, we do not test the authenticity of our faith by the perfection of our performance. Hear that. We do not test the authenticity of our faith. By the perfection of our performance, we do not see our faith as being solid and true and authentic by how well we live life. In fact, Jesus came because we could not live life well. But instead, our our faith is proved authentic by our belief in the necessity and the provision of Jesus. What Christ has purchased for you is what makes your faith authentic. Well, the second thing I said, this hope is twofold as we see in in the scripture. One is this glorious inheritance that we receive. The second is this, is that we are given this incomparable power from God. This power from God that, that has no comparison. There's nothing that can be upheld or or held against it in comparison. It trumps all power in all of the creation. Look with me at verse 19, this, this incomparable great power, that power, I'm in the middle of 19, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly helm in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority power and dominion and every name that is invoked not only in this present age but also in the one to come and God placed all things under his feet Jesus And and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. For those of us who love Christ, for those of us who have found our life in Jesus, he says that this same resurrection power the same strength that conquered death and rose Jesus to the most high position of honor, seated at the right hand of God Almighty, that same power is in you, believer. That same power of the Holy Spirit is in you, not because you've earned it, not because you were good enough to receive it, but because God chose to bless you with this great power and this great inheritance. Paul writes this and I I wanna point this out um, because I want us to take a look at our own lives in this as well. Paul, the original readers of this letter that Paul sent were Gentile Ephesians that came from a, a very strong background of magical beliefs, okay? So understand that in the context that Paul is describing this power. He's letting them know this power is greater than any magical type belief that you have. You've grown up in this system of of different um, folks doing these, these crazy things. But I'm letting you know that what you have seen does not compare to the power that God has deposited in you. We know as Christians that we get tastes of this power... We see this power in our lives here and there. God gives us glimpses of this fullness of his power, but we won't see the fullness of the power of God until we leave this world, until this world ends, until we come into the fullness of his kingdom. We will then know the fullness of God's might and power. But he gives us glimpses here. And in our lives today, the question I think needs to be asked, as as the original readers of this letter would have asked, in what things do I think in what things do I think rallies against or or in some ways I'm I'm believing compares to this newfound power in Christ? Is it the power of performance? In our lives? Is it the power of of belief in others to satisfy our needs? Is Is it the power of success and wealth that would rescue us from whatever situation that we believe we're in? Is it the power, what power are we thinking compares at some level to this power that we have found in Jesus? Paul is stating there is nothing that compares to it. As you look into your life, in just an application, what powers am I allowing to hold some kind of ground against the power of God that's incomparable and nothing can be compared to? So how do we take comfort from this today? That's the question. The question of where are we finding our hope? How do we take comfort in what Paul has answered in that question? First, in every church this morning, this evening, throughout the, the whole world, there is going to be two groups of people that sit inside of a church and hear God's word. The first group is going to be people that know that they are broken, needy beggars, that they have violated God, they have turned away from God, and because of that, they understand that they know they receive God's punishment. We are not perfect. That first group are people that know they are broken and they need a Savior. If you sit in that camp this morning, here at Grace, I want to encourage you to lean into what Paul has said is true about you. You are a child of God. You have been given a great inheritance that is nothing that you've worked for or earned, but has been sheer grace poured out upon you. You've been given a life that you know the certainty of what lies ahead. Enjoy that. Live in the comfort of that inheritance and of that great power that has been deposited into you. Marvel at it. Love it. And live in it with hope. Assurance. There's another group that's in church every week as well. And all of us have been in that group. And that's the group of those who have not trusted Jesus. They have not, they have not come to the Lord and asked him to have mercy on them. They have not looked to Jesus to wash away their sin. They've continued to live in their brokenness and in, in, in ways that are hopeless. If you're in that group this morning and you have not looked to Jesus to wash you clean, to forgive you. Hear this this morning. God is not sending you on a treasure hunt to find him. There is nothing that you can do or have said or guilt that you carry that will burden you to the point that Jesus will not take you. You need to understand this morning that Jesus came for sinners, not the well, not those that were healthy, but for the sick, for you and me that were desperately trying to get through life and realizing that we have no hope to rescue ourselves. That Jesus is calling to you today. The fact that you sit in this church or listen online is Jesus' grace and evidence that he is showing himself to you. Come to him. For all those who have turned away from God and have not kept his ways, Jesus is calling to you to trust him. Allow him to make you new. Allow him to apply his love his grace, his inheritance, his power to you, to your heart today and receive this incredible hope that Paul has shared in Ephesians 1. The question of the day is where are you finding your hope? This morning, for those that are finding their hope in Jesus or coming to Jesus Today, as you heard the gospel preached and you want this Jesus, that hope is given to you today in one way by our brother Aaron Schwartz, Reverend Aaron Schwartz, retired army chaplain, who will be giving us and serving us the Lord's Supper as you seek to find your hope in Jesus. Let me pray. Lord, I pray that you would draw our hearts close to you today. Oh, Lord, we need you. We are broken. We are sinners. We have gone far off from you, but you have called us. You have pursued us. You have initiated salvation for us. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that today, for those that know you, that have trusted in you, that we would find great hope of the assurance that you have given us. For those of us that are considering you, that aren't sure what to do with you, Lord, that as they've heard the gospel given to them today, that they would rejoice and that they are not too far. And Lord, that they would come and they would trust in you to give them this great hope. Lord, we pray as we receive the Lord's Supper here, that we would remember that your body was broken for us and your blood was shed for us so that we could have this life. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.